We all want to feel better, be happier, and have more freedom. And there are endless resources at our fingertips. But wading through a sea of self-help books, podcasts, and workshops takes more time than anyone has. Except me. That's my job. I curate and translate the latest, most effective personal development wisdom to help you elevate your personal experience and improve the way you show up for others. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is Self-Helpful. How to ditch the anxiety of FOMO and embrace the peace of JOMO. In today's world where you can get alerted every second about something new, FOMO, or the fear of missing out is something causing anxiety amongst the culture. Fear of missing out on the latest news because you want to be in the know. Fear of missing out on a social media post or the next new show or episode on Netflix or a new podcast posting and on and on. We want to belong and we want to be in the know and we don't want to miss out on something beneficial for us. It's a real thing. I'm back with Dr. Will Cole. He's a renowned functional medicine expert, celebrated health coach to people like actress Gwyneth Paltrow. His new book is called Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel, which was the topic of our first talk together. This is my values and habits episode where we walk through the key areas of life fulfillment to see how Will structures his personal life for success. And it's in the category of mental health where he brings up FOMO and ascribes instead to JOMO, the joy of missing out. I'll let you hear how he breaks it down in the episode, but it's a worthy paradigm shift and something he puts great value in for himself and his patients. In other categories, Will shares his spirituality is the lens from which he sees the world through. He's pretty introverted, so is very intentional about nurturing relationships He follows intermittent fasting, which he got flack from actually in a recent talk with Gwyneth Paltrow, kind of went viral, and he'll unpack the errancy of what happened there in the show. He has a weakness for organic peanut butter and Zevia soda. And we end with Will sharing his love of history and how he gets lost in it just for personal joy. You can ask him anything about the Mayflower and he'll fill you in. You can find Dr. Will Cole at drwillcole.com. The Self-Helpful Podcast was founded through the Zig Ziglar Corporation. June 15, 16 of 2023, I'll be in Dallas to attend and speak at the Ziglar Coach Summit. I just talked with Tom Ziglar, CEO of Ziglar and uh, son of Zig. There's still space. If you want to check it out, I'd encourage you to go to Ziglar, Z-I-G-L-A-R.com slash coach summit. If you want to lead people, influence people for the better, it's something worth attending. Following these sponsors who help make the show possible and provide great resources for your life, I bring you Dr. Will Cole and a walk and talk through his personal values and habits. I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous and I got introduced to Heaven Hill 
bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill Distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And I'm impressed with the bourbon's ultra rich, smooth taste. And right on the bottle, it states that this bourbon is seven years old, which is actually three times longer than what's required to be certified as bottled in bond. I feel with beverages, the longer the prep, the better the taste. Being a bottled in bond product means it must pass a list of seven requirements that set the standard for this quality bourbon. So look for it at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Will, our first category here is spiritual I was just out on a mountain bike ride, which is a spiritual place for me, a good place to flow and thinking about, you know, health and wellness and our pursuit of that and kind of like morals and ethics. I was thinking that I, I, I don't hardly conceive of that pursuit outside of a spiritual nature and looking at some of your recent Instagram and, you know, social media posts and, and the book itself, which you said is more of a philosophical approach. It feels like more of a spiritual spiritual journey in, in a sense. So tell me how the spiritual aspect component fits into your life. It's, uh, it's inextricable from, from my life. I see it. It's how I see the world. It's the lens in which I see the world. Um, and you mentioned getting out in nature. I mean, to me, I, I post a lot in my Instagram stories pictures of nature and sunset in the morning when I'm taking the dogs out and in the evening and the sunset when I get home from consulting patients and I have been for years calling it God art. And that's how I mm. see it is like, just like making and the research around forest bathing and Shinrin Yoku, which I talk about in the book always has fascinated me of just the science of how nature is, um, is healing to us and using nature as a medicine, but also the ineffable, like you don't understand the mechanisms and just taking it in with all its awe and wonder. And that's how I see it. And we have lots of plants at the clinic as well as here. We have lots of rocks, cool rocks. Patients actually <laughs> ship us, bring us because they know I collect, collect these things from nature. And we all, we call it God art at, at my home. We call it God art at the clinic. And if you could bring some outside inside, like when you're in, if we have an inside job, it that in and of itself making your your space your office sacred and something calming is is essential part of my work with patients and also for myself these are things that i practice so it's just in the it's in it's so intertwined with everything that i do and just seeing something greater than myself and seeing synchronicities everywhere that i can't explain but it's just like god winks in many ways uh, in my life so it's it's very much important to me how do you see it in regards to your patients? We had uh, Tama Bryant on the show. She's the new president of the APA. And a big part of her premise is bringing spirituality into psychology, into therapy, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with the idea of, my gosh, it's such a foundational part of most of humanity's life to not have that as a part of their therapy is missing out some. Do you see the similar 
aspect just in somebody's pursuit of health and wellness when there's a, a, a bigger picture, a bigger, a greater purpose as fitting into maybe the motive for their health and wellness journey? Absolutely. Yeah. And you have to meet coming from a clinical standpoint, when I'm consulting patients online, you have to meet them where they're at, right? And it may, they may have a practice, they may be a part of a certain religion or a certain faith or worldview when it comes to that kind of stuff. And you kind of speak the language that they speak. But the commonality is, it's something greater than yourself. And you're using that practice, whatever that practice is, to cultivate really strengthening your mindfulness muscle in many ways. It's having a grace, it's having a lightness, it's having this sort of inner peace that I think uh, it, it, research shows people that ha- cultivate these practices live longer, tend to live longer, healthier lives compared to people who don't. Um, but look, we have patients that are not of no faith, but really can cultivate through something like mindfulness. So that's something completely secular, but they are still in awe of nature or art or breath or human, you know, health and learning about it. So you have to always meet a person where they're at and not try to push it something specifically down their throats as far as theology or anything like that. Where would you say your own spiritual awareness? Is that something that you grew up with it was always part of life or was there a point where you tuned into it i it was always a part of my life so i grew up in like um you would it's like a non-denominational christian home that's how i grew up and it was always more about a relationship with god more than a religion it was not really religious at all it was just very much what could you could you cultivate a relationship with God? And what did that look like? And there are certain aspects of my family are Jewish as well. So I, today I've kind of evolved. I'm like this hybrid of a Jewish Christian Buddhist hybrid, if you will. <laughs> Sweet trifecta. I, yeah, which probably would define Jesus <laughs> at the end of the day. So I don't know. I think to me that's that's what if you had to define it, but I'm more interested now more than ever of just connecting with the divine more than man's dogma or theology about it, which are just, you know, human constructs. And so again, nature is a primary daily aspect of your practice to step into that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, nature is my, the highest church that I've ever been to. I feel like I could spend 15 minutes in nature and nothing against church. I mean, I I would go to church too, but, but to me, that's more about community more than connection. Like it's more about community, which is important and had a lot of research around that too. But to me, 15 minutes in nature is more therapeutic and more spiritual, more divine than hours in a building in a church for me personally. All right. On that, you mentioned in community, relationships is the next one. So when you look at relationships with your family, with those that are close to you, friends, extended family, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, but those who are most important in your life, where would you, what would you say these are the values you're pursuing with your relationships, Will? Yeah. I mean, families, it's so cliche, but it's extremely important to me, especially as someone that is more introverted like my closest friends are my family, like my, my um, wife, 
my best friend, my kids, two teenagers. So they're like, it's cool to like have kids at different phases of their life. As they get older, I've become more friends. Like I work out with my son. I go and like read same books as my son. And we talk about it's It's just fun to have that uh, relationship where I'm still his dad, but we can be on that more friend level. And um, how old is he? Will 16. Beautiful. Yeah. 16. And I have a 14 year old daughter and she's again, I go to theater with her. Like I'll go, she loves theater. So we'll go to all the theater shows and it's so much fun to like enjoy life in that way with them and do things that they love and we have in common. Um, and my, I, this is a rare blessing, but I'm also very close to my in-laws as well. So like my brothers-in-law, my sister-in-law, some of my best friends. So family is huge. Community is huge. I'm still an introvert. And I, that's the misconception around introverts is that you don't, doesn't mean you don't love people. You just need recharge, recharge time. Yeah. Especially when your job is holding space for people that are going through heavy health problems, you need recharge time. So I, I think that that's also people make fun of me and joke around it. Like, where's Will at? I mean, he like dipped out. <laughs> he, <laughs> he did that. What do they call it? Irish goodbye. He yeah, would yeah, like yeah. leave really. Yeah, that That's me. And it's because, okay, I'm, I have, I, I talk, I talk about it in the book. It's Jomo. It's the joy of missing out. And I have a lot of it. <laughs> so you, do you find yourself being more intentional then with, okay, here is connection time. As you said, this is connection time, which is interesting. You said that because as we talk about relationships, right, we just had uh, uh, Robert Waldinger on the show, Arthur Brooks. Yeah, and those guys. Great. Yeah. He is incredible. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's really incredible because he endorsed my book. So on the back cover, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, you know, talking about relationships. Obviously, if we just say relationships, well, we can have really. You deal with patients all the time who have really bad relationships. Those aren't what we're talking about. The ones we're talking about, life game ones, are the connection points. So exactly, it, I'll ask you that then in regards to your relationships, whether it's your family or you know your friends close to you. That what do you do? Do you have any specific things that you do that's, you know, again, it's an intentional, yeah, it's a relationship, but we're going to do this to connect. This is how you, well, gosh, even as an introvert, how do you best connect with people? Um, quality time. It's quality time. And, and it's talking. Normally it's, it, we have this, you know, sunroom in the house and friends come over like small, we just have, we have, we have a lot of like small groups of people coming over in the house. Like my wife is the um, master connector hmm. of, of people. So no matter like everyone that knows her, she connects just so many people and she was, would say she's introverted too, which is interesting. She's definitely more, uh, uh, I don't know how you would describe well, we're all, it. We're against. all on the spectrum. So we're on the yeah. spectrum. She's definitely further on the, spectrum than me, <laughs> on the closer to extrovert land. But uh, so anyway, she will, we always have small groups of people at our house and we have this sort of room where everybody sits on the couch and just talk for hours over tea and coffee. And that's my style. Or like now that the months are warming up here on the East coast, we'll go out by a bonfire and talk for hours outside. Um, or the pool's open now or go out there. Like to me, it's just being outside or being in with a small group of people by, by, the, by the fire inside. It is uh, my favorite way to connect for sure. How do you work to protect that, having that time to do that with your schedule? I mean, you're, mm. you're, you're a busy guy. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's having healthy boundaries, I guess, with work. I mean, it. it I have to say, it in 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 full candor, like I'm not per- perfect in this. I'm really not anywhere close to it. But I and I don't even want to be. I, I really don't. Like I love my work so much. So the idea, maybe some people can do this, like completely turn it off. Yeah. But like, I never really do. I love talking about health. That's my job. So the idea that that would ever stop, it doesn't really. But I don't mind it. It's so it's kind of a unique thing, I guess, when you're just really passionate about what you do. It's kind of one and the same with you. But I'm not seeing patients 24-7. But, you know, so it's, it's, it's different aspects of my job. But for me, it's having the simple logistical answer is having a great team. Yeah, it's having a great team. I've known like over the past 13 plus years, I can't do everything well and I need to be okay with like loosening the reins in certain areas. And even though I mean, I have an amazing team that I trust implicitly and they're like family to me. And they talk about friends and community. Those are my extended family. And we we do vacations together. I do vacations with my telehealth team. We have they come over my house and they're part of the that's the bonfire group. So I, I I think loving the people that you work with is another aspect of community and trusting the people you work with. But part of that trust is saying delegation, like, hey, you can do this. And as a per certain personality like me, like I would think I could do it better, I could do it faster, but it's there's only so many hours in a you day. You can't do it all. Yeah, granted. No, you just need to like get your ego to the side and be like, hey, they will learn. <laughs> they will learn what you've learned over 13 years and give them the chance to learn and be there for them and coach them. And that's part of leadership. Well, so I'll just jump right there ahead to the work aspect, work career business. So when you look at that, you've got a obviously a flourishing career, more opportunities than you can take advantage of. So when you step back and go, okay, what do you, I mean, cause you just said, what do you value? I mean, you love your work. You love talking about health. That's what you're going to do regardless. So how great to get paid for it, but mm-hmm. having boundaries, having team, uh, are the, did you just cover like what are, when you look at work, these are the values that I'm going to adhere to that would you say create your boundaries for work? Yeah. Well, I think being, and I know as a, if you run a company, I hear it all the time from friends and colleagues, it's tough. It's tough finding the right people that you trust and finding the right people that want to work, that have the same work ethic as you. I understand it's not easy all, all the time, but God has really brought amazing people to my life. And some are there for seasons. A lot of them are there for a long period of time. Like my clinic manager has been with me for my entire career, 13 plus years. Many people have been there eight, nine, 10 years, like long time. So um, you grow to really trust them. Again, we go on vacations together and we kind of do life together in that way. So um, team is important. And when you delegate, you can get when you delegate, you can have healthy boundaries with, because you don't have to burn yourself out. And you realize you can do the best best version of you. You can do the best job when you aren't spread too thin. And that's tough when you're scaling a business of any sort. You have to create systems out of thin air to really see what's necessary and have that vision on what, what's what's needed. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but I think, I think that um, trusting people – Having the right group around you is really important. Um, and also, I would say this pra- practically, we talk about it's kind of connected with business and how I said like spirituality is so part of every sphere of my life. We start our morning off when I get to the telehealth clinic, 
Um, we, the people that are there, which I have about 30 plus employees, the people that are there, which is probably around half of them, um, are at the clinic. We start our day off with prayer and meditation together. So it's like that community and, and business and spirituality is part of our, the first thing we do every, every morning is that where it's the first 15, 20 minutes is so we read uh, some sort of devotion, spiritual practice, and we pray together. And then we go over and we hold space for these people that are going through heavy things. We pray over the people on the schedule to just for us to sh- show up in the way that they need. And then we go over the logistical like health history. So reviews and all of that stuff that we have to do. Um, so yeah, that's what it looks like for me. Thankfully, the days of building a business website, then having this massive endeavor to integrate an online store are gone. Today, Shopify has fixed all that. I had one business where we actually built the entire website on Shopify's platform. So whether you're just starting out or you're selling a million bucks of product already, Shopify is just the industry leader. It works the same for physical products or online and digital, and Shopify is just hands down the best out there. Most importantly, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. It's 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Getting people to buy is not that hard, at least to the buying point, but getting them to actually give their payment info is, and Shopify is king in that department. They also have top tier customer service, which I think is critical. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Kevin. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Kevin. Friends, I'm pretty candid about my lack of financial prowess. Money and numbers are fairly Greek to me, so I need a lot of guidance. One of my closest friends is a wildly successful wealth manager, and I'm working on some financial literacy and just continually seeking guidance. So I ask you to check out yahoofinance.com. Nobody knows it all on Yahoo Finance is an incredible resource for the rookies like me or the seasoned investors. You know, before my dad passed away recently, Dave Ramsey and his wife, Sharon, flew down to visit. We all got to spend a day together. And I was at yahoofinance.com just now. I saw multiple news flashes from Dave and other people that you respect. And they're hitting so many of the hottest areas in finance today. So it's a place to get a snapshot of all aspects of your financial interests. And if you have them, your portfolios. I hadn't realized Yahoo Finance is the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. So for your comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. One more time. YahooFinance.com. I live high up in the Rocky Mountains where the air is clean and fresh as possible, but then I step indoors and I'm breathing in untold amounts of toxins and allergens from paint and carpet and cleaning chemicals and pets and furniture and appliances and mold and so on. Studies show the indoor air is two to five times more polluted than the outdoor air anywhere you are. And in some places it's a hundred times worse than that. Well, the solution is to get an air purifier and air doctor is just the best out there. It filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants 
ruminants and allergens such as pollen and pet dander and dust mites and mold and even bacteria and viruses so your lungs don't have to try to do that. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Go to airdoctorpro.com. You can use the promo code Kevin. And depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to 300 bucks. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. So to get the special deal, go to AIR. D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot com. Use promo code Kevin. How does your, that's really cool, by the way. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, yeah. how, how does your, in the opportunities that you're getting hit with, which are a lot, I mean, I, I'm grateful you're on the show here because I know you get asked uh, for more than you can more you can participate in. How do you look at the opportunity? Money aside, obviously, if it's a great monetary, you know, opportunity, it has interest. But outside of that, if everything were the same, how do you choose which things you are going to say yes to in regards to business opportunities at this point? Mm -hmm. It just has to be uh, this and this word is overused, so I'm I'm saying it knowing that, but I'll I'll define it. Something that's authentically something that I can get behind, something that I use in my own life that I recommend to patients that my team loves and then told me about it because they love it and I trust them or all of those. That's really what it is about. So if it's like a brand that wants me to talk about it, I have to try it first. I have to see what it does for me or it's something that honestly, most of the things that we do are things we've used in the clinic yeah. before anyways, like it was before we had any brand deal with somebody or they're a sponsor on the podcast. Like it's 95% of it are things we've always recommended. And then it, the brand partnerships happen afterwards, yeah. which I think is a great way to do it. Cause when you're in this space, it's, it's coming from an authentic place. Like I love this. And now we can talk about it and share it with people. Um, and then there's a smaller percentage of things that we look into and we're like, yeah, well, this is really cool. We didn't ever heard about you before, but we would recommend this for patients. And now we do. So it's the other way around. So I think that it just has to come from that place. I think people can read inauthentic, inauthentic, yeah. in, in, inauthenticity. Yeah. And I think that um, we're kind of past that, right? With people, the influencer realm has already evolved in that way because people are growing in that their savviness in that. I think it's one thing if you're like a, maybe a mega celebrity and you could probably sell anything and it's probably still inauthentic, some of it. But I think for the rest people that in the on in the world that have some sort of platform, you have to come from an authentic place. Yeah. Well, in the position that you're in too. So my best friend and business partner is an MD and a functional medicine uh, doc. And I, more than any, I mean, you guys, I want to know, what do you do? What do you, you can tell me this and tell me about what do you use? What do you use? What do you do for your own health and wellness? I mean, that's gotta be top of the list, which I'll start there. That's the next one, health and wellness. And to ask you what you value there seems kind of goofy. That's is your, this is your world, but I will, I mean, even for yourself, you know, to look at, cause there's some things that you participate in. There's some things that you don't, there's some practices mm -hmm. that you see value in some that you don't, there's some supplements that you agree with some that you don't. So to look at that. Yeah. I, I now I do want you to get a little granular. 
seminar on this mm-hmm. one with health and wellness, literally. And, and let's start on the nutrition side with what you literally adhere to or the structure of your diet. Sure. So really, all the books I've written are all things that I do. I mean, they're things that I do with patients, but they're also things that I do as well. So let's get granular. I mean, I intermittent fast pretty much every day, but I am advocate. I wrote about it. Third book was called intuitive fasting. That's kind of, that's my thing. I, I, I will check in with my body, meaning it's not super esoteric. It's just like, all right, if I, I typically on the weekends, I'll wake up and want to have breakfast with the family. But during the work week, when I'm seeing patients, I really love the rhythm of not having to like eat first thing in the morning and I'm not even hungry. So I will eat when I'm hungry and which is typically 11, 12, 1 PM. So I'm most days I'm doing every anywhere between, I would say 16 to an 18 hour intermittent fasting window. I like playing around sometimes experimenting with shifting that window and doing like having breakfast, like on the weekends, but ending my dinner earlier in the day and fasting through the latter afternoon through the night until you break the fast the next morning. So that's what I'll do from an eating window, fasting window standpoint and how I, and I'm not cutting calories. I'm eating into satiety just within that specific window. Yeah, I did hear that on the cutting calories that you just had the thing with Gwyneth Paltrow that went nuts and people were accusing you of yeah, starvation. And yeah, so I appreciate, I I listened to that. So (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I mean, that whole thing, right? It's a it's my question was like what are some of the things you do within your wellness routine, yeah. right? And you know this cuz you brought you podcast and you talk to people. It's like even when you ask a question which wasn't give me every detailed morsel of food that you consume and then let's let's serve it up to the TikTok keyboard warriors. Let's ju- I just said, hey, what are some of the things you do within wellness? And we we went went over a spattering of the things that she does. Uh, And she's a telehealth patient of mine too. So we were just going over some of the protocol that she does. Um, But people just take things and run with it, right? But my point was when, when you were with the podcast, it's easy to, when you ask a question, then go off on another rabbit trail or something else. And it's like, okay, not the full story because it's a whole hour conversation. We have lots of things to cover. take it out of context. Yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. So people get their news from context, not from clips, not context. And they should read the context. And I think clips are great, but clips should provoke the person to want to listen to the hour-long conversation and not take things out of context. I just feel like people like forgot how to use what clips are meant for. (laughs) It's not the entire story. That's why they're long form conversations. Yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. So it makes sense. So, okay. Not cutting calories. So when it is Not cutting calories. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm eating until satiety. I'm eating nutrient dense foods, filling calorically dense foods. Uh, So includes lots of vegetables, lots of fruits. I'm not counting macros. I kind of intuitively go moderate lower to moderate carb i go cyclically in ketosis and deeper fast but not all the time Uh, i i use it more clinically therapeutically for people that have different inflammatory problems autoimmune issues neurological issues we do cyclical ketogenic protocols and fasting protocols to facilitate that but for myself i don't have those 
issues to have to do it. So I mainly get to low levels of ketosis through some intermittent fasting and eating lower carbs, uh, eating lower carbs and then moderating my carbs when I want to. So lots of fruits, lots of vegetables, lots of protein, fish, grass-fed beef, all of that stuff. So pretty, uh, I would say a clean omnivore diet that is very flexitarian. Yeah. So I'll have, I'm entirely gluten-free. I don't eat gluten, but I'll have gluten-free cookies. Like my mother-in-law just made me these cinnamon raisin gluten-free cookies that are so freaking good and I'll eat those yeah. and there's no shame in it. And that's part of what I'm talking about in gut feelings is not to have shame or stress about these things. Don't beat yourself up. It's not worth it. Like eat the cookie and move on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what I do. I have a sauna. I love my infrared sauna. I work out. I mean, I walk every day. I I, I go on a like high-paced walk with my team, actually. Again, community and movement. We walk, most of us. I don't shame anyone who doesn't want to walk with me. But a good group of people from the clinic walk every day uh, over lunch. Um, and um, we talk and chat and move our bodies. And it's great. And um but I will do like a harder workout probably four or five times a week, which involves uh, weight training, resistance training, picking up heavy things. And uh, I, I do cycling too a few days a week. Beauty. What's a, uh, what's a Dr. Will Cole vice? What's a, you know, what, what's, you <laughs> yeah, just mentioned cookies, but yeah, but tell yeah, give me a couple. Lots of them. I ask because I, I love my vices. I, I'm, I'm very, yeah. very much. Friends yeah, to with me, I don't even see them as vices. I really don't. It's just like Joys. I have zero. Yeah. So I, uh, what what the world may call vices, I would I would say if there are gluten free oatmeal raisin cookies, I will have too many of those. Okay. Uh, peanut butter. I don't have a problem with Valencia peanut butter. I love organic Valencia peanut butter. It's low mold. I love it. It loves me back. I eat too much of it and I'm fully aware of it. Um, but Fair. it's just not well balanced. This is too much peanut butter. Like no human should eat that much peanut butter, but I do. Yeah. Uh, and I would say Zevia, which my team is going to laugh when they hear this, but like Zevia, I'm not sponsored by Zevia, but I, if I could only drink one thing, it would probably be Zevia. Ah. Have you had it before? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long time. I'll have to check it out again. It's just a Stevia sweetened, cola just the cola i don't want the other stuff no shade to the other stuff but i just want the cola but i love i drink too much tea which is good for you but i drink an obscene amount of it yeah. and i some days i'll have too much coffee which i know it's like not the best for my like frenetic anxiety <laughs> sometimes but uh when i'm busy and stressed during the day but i will i, I love coffee so those are my vices tea just like uh, you're talking hot tea like a yeah, any kind. I mean, I love a big, huge, like glass of iced tea too. Unsweetened, no sweetener, just black iced tea. But I will have if it's milligrams of caffeine. There's an upper limit of what humans should consume. Yeah, I know the research. It's not good for me to have that much, but I really do enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it must be like a functional medicine doc thing of tea because my partner, he's uh, he's a tea snob, and he's gotten me into it now. So loose loose leaf teas and, and the, yeah. And the little strainer thing. And yeah, I can just drink it all day long. So I've got it. So good. I keep having to buy some. What's the least caffeine? So he's got me on some white ones now and some yellow ones. Yes. And, yeah. And I like yeah. those too. I like the white tea, green teas, a slightly lower caffeine. Mental health. 
And I, I kind of like to look, Will, at even like your mindset. Like what's the mindset that you're trying to achieve and sustain during the day? And you already talked about being an introvert and needing to recharge. So I want to ask what you do there. And you also mentioned boundaries as well. Mm-hmm. So there's two things there, but help, yeah, give us a, a, a snapshot of what you're looking to achieve and then what you do to, to, to do that throughout the day for your mindset. Yeah. So the spirituality is a major part of that. I, I think those that practice is so integral part. And I would say even the well health stuff, like the physical health stuff. And that's, I mean, not to tie it back to the book, but just it's such an ethos of what I do yeah. clinically and personally is that mental health is physical health. And that if you're eating foods that love you back, you're going to be more grounded, feel better in your skin. You're going to be more regulated from a neuroimmunoendocrine axis standpoint. Like your nervous system, your immune system, and your endocrine system, your hormones are going to be more balanced. Your mental health is going to be better when you eat foods that love you back. And also when you practice spiritual uh, practices, whether that is gratitude or prayer, meditation, breath work, for getting out in nature, forest bathing, all those things are going to impact your mental health. So all that stuff is really much mental health. Um, and then uh, I would say it's, it is for me, it's, it's not being an introvert and talk about mental health be, and I, I talk about it in gut feelings is being okay with saying no and not feeling um, yeah. guilty about it. Like letting no be your multivitamin. Hmm. is and use it often because you especially when you're introverted you will get called and not even just introverts but when you say no like i'm not going to go out and do that or uh no i'm not going to make it people will say oh you're antisocial or you're wow you you're boring and not going because they're kind of name calling you and guilting you but being okay with that jomo lifestyle um so that's hugely important for me because if I need my recharge time, I'm not going to let someone guilt me into going somewhere or doing something. And um, so I think that's a tip for anybody, no matter who you are. Which on that, he just mentioned Jomo. And I know that out of the book, joy of missing mm-hmm. out instead of the fear of missing out. That's uh, yeah. that's stuck. That's I, I appreciate that. Where are you? Where would you say, Will, that you're most with your mental state, mental health, your peace, where are you most at risk? Where do you have to advocate? Because this is where you can tend to fall off the wagon if you're going to. Yeah. Well, if you, do you know anything about the Enneagram? We just did a whole series with the Incron. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So I'm an Enneagram five. We may have talked about this a little bit last time, but I'm an Enneagram five. So it's like a, I'm a researcher, which really works for my job. I'm a voracious researcher of health research. I will figure out the most complex health puzzles out there for patients. And that's what made us really great at what we do in telehealth. But the downside of a, and all Enneagram numbers have a downside. I'm not by no expert. They can go back and listen yeah, yeah. to your episodes that you did there. But the what I know about what I've learned from experts in the Enneagram is that the weak side yeah. of um, like the unhealthy side of the Enneagram 5 is you can feel depleted and feel like you're almost a resource resource hoarder. So you feel like there's not enough time to yourself when you get to like an unhealthy yeah. space. So around like book launches or when the schedule's really busy and there's maybe a lot of family things going on, you feel like people are pulling from you at every direction. And especially when you're running a business as an Enneagram 5, 
this is tough. It's tough. I haven't mastered this, but I think it's just riding those seasons out and creating as much pockets as you can of stillness and, and being very uh, intentional with your time and not saying yes to everything. I guess I kind of repeating myself a little bit on the past point, but it's, it's saying no to some, you know, I, I, practical advice there were there were a lot and i'm thankful i'm really thankful and that's always a balancing act too when the book comes out you know you have to go and talk about the book yeah. but your day job still seeing patients and you're not going to reschedule them so it's like all right i have to say no to some podcasts i don't like saying no because a i don't want to disappoint anybody and b i'm thankful for the opportunity so i there's like in my mind i'm like this like, who am I to say no to an opportunity that someone wants me to talk about it? But I've come to the point where it's like, I have to be okay with, it may not be the best business decision on paper, but I'd rather create some pockets of stillness wherever I can get it. And that's editing down uh, things that that you could say yes to, but you're not going to from a business standpoint. Well, I feel even more honored that you're doing my <laughs> podcast. So I thanks. said yes twice to you. I know, I know, friend. I know. You're, even, you're even, worth it. You're even worth when it. your team uh, tried to protect your time and only gave me one slot to begin with. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to ask you, Will, with on the introvert side, which I I, I am uh, heavily an introvert. We just did a series with Andre Solo on his book, uh, Sensitive, on high, uh, HSPs and you know, highly sensitive people. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm looking at it and, and just, you said studying my own self care. Uh, and do you find that you can uh, kind of on a day-to-day basis, squirrel away some of that solitude, some of that recharging time, and that's enough. And I'm asking that because I feel like I, that helps, but at some point, especially if it's been a couple weeks or, or even a month of just a lot, that I'll just go away for literally like three days. I got a big family, so it's a big thing, but I'll just take off and they know that, okay, daddy's going to go recharge. And I'll, yeah, three days or so for me to really um, detach, I guess. I, I don't know. How would you, well, does that relate at all? And does that make sense? Yeah. I've, I don't usually, I have never honestly been able to do that, but it sounds very appealing. And you do, <laughs> Dude, do I, lo- I love it. I get giddy about it. I'll go away and I'll, you know, pick yeah. a, pick a place where I want to go mountain bike or hike or something yeah. like that. And I may do some writing. I may even do some work, but I'm totally detached, you know, that my, unless it's an emergency and oh my gosh, it's, it's such food for yeah. my soul. Yeah. You know what I do? I don't do it for not work stuff, but it normally happens with work. But I normally bring one of my kids with me when I travel. Mm. And that's like enough for me. It's not entirely alone time, but it's like just them. And I feel like that's the same, almost the same for me as being alone, only better because they're with me, like because they're my friends, but it's a small group. It's just them. I feel obviously so like one with them as like I, my, in my, my like inner circle of people, my kids. So I, I don't have that exactly because that does sound really fun to like go to somewhere, go to some cabin in the middle of nowhere. That does yeah. sound really fun. You're tempting me now, but the yeah. but I'd invite I, the you, ne- but then I then I wouldn't be alone. <laughs> you wouldn't be alone. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it's uh, you know my what I do that does downregulate my nervous system is taking one of my kids. I have two. 
taking my son, taking my daughter and doing, going to a town that I studied that I had to go to for work, which is still work, but it's like the hotel. It's like, yeah. okay, we can go chill out. It's not, it gets us out of our routine, but it's still like just us. And we're in a city that we don't necessarily know people or the city that we do know people, but I don't make plans with everybody because I'm only there for a couple of days. So it's just come in, it's time with them and out. Um, but you know what it is too strange, but it's a, probably a weird introvert thing. But it is when I'm on a long flight yeah, and it's like, all right, I could just sit down in one place and like, and again, it normally is work. I do some of my best writing on a plane, yep. but it's just, there's no like it's limited communication, right? You're intentional because the Wi-Fi sucks. <laughs> You're intentional <laughs> with communication and uh, you are, can just be, be alone for a little bit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It is weird. It's something about the anonymity, maybe, or I don't yeah. know, it's, it's, it's kind of loud and boisterous, but I'll put in these, you know, earphones and some, and some music. And yeah, I've had some of my most yeah brilliant revelations on a stupid airplane. I, I do I want you to speak to this though, just to, to take advantage of it. So we're talking about mental health and such a big part of your book, gut feelings, but I, and I want to just elevate it for everybody listening is we look at mental health and how seldom, if ever, we think about in regards to our mental health, what we're putting in our mouth or what we're not putting in our mouth. So, I mean, again, it, just expound on that for, for a moment. I mean, that is the point of the book. It's a, a big part of what we talked about in the first show together, but that when you're looking at mental health, that's like, a, it's like off the board. If you look at the mm-hmm. media and yet you're coming and saying, no, this is like a primary part folks. And we're so ignorant of it. Yeah. I mean, the, every food we eat, it's, it's another opportunity to, if you talk about mental health specifically, but really every cell of our body, I mean, the cliche, we are what we eat is, is actually science. I mean, we, we are actually building our cells. We're building our neurotransmitters. We're building our hormones with every mouth, with every bite of food, with every yeah. drink that we have. So, and, and also from a larger, it's like, um, 
it's the raw materials that influences how our biochemistry is expressed. So what we eat will influence hormonal production. So foods will impact, you know, glucose spikes, insulin will come up. It's impacting a, a cascade of response of that food. And then conversely, a food that is grounding and nourishing will res- the body will respond accordingly. So you're not only building the tissues and neurotransmitters, the cells, the hormones with the foods, you're actually influencing what is already produced. So it is uh, hugely, it's profoundly influential, but people are disconnected. People are not, we're not empowered. We're not connected to our food. I heard, a, this is not recent, a few years ago, a patient tell me that their child thought that that French fries didn't come from potatoes. They didn't know that. They thought French fries came from McDonald's. So I thought, okay, that's kind of the nature of where we're at as yeah. a society that we just don't know where food comes from. Yeah. And um, that's just a silly example. But the reality is people aren't in the kitchen. They're certainly not in the gardens. I mean, so, I mean, they're not getting growing their food. Some people are, but most people aren't anymore. Um, and so I think that it's hopefully conversations like this will at least provoke a curiosity to want to look at what my breakfast, lunch, and dinner, my snacks, the drinks I'm drinking, how are they influencing my mood, right? And I teach that in the books, they can learn recipes, easy, practical tips to use food to support that microbiome mood connection, that connection between your gut and your brain. Yeah, you make me think again just about the, this has grown in my own life of not looking at food as just fuel. And even the thing of like eating on the run, if I'm on the run, then I'm just not going to eat. Because if I'm going to eat and do it well, like you're talking about, be intentional, be aware, I almost have to look at it as a, almost like a sacred thing, as a ritual. Mm -hmm. And if I can't do that, I'm generally, generally, always exceptions. Uh, like I had a little bit of food on my, between the mountain bike ride and this, cause I knew I wasn't going to, and I wanted to eat a little bit, but for the most part of making it an event. And if I can't, then that, what a great opportunity just to miss it, but to be connected with the food and, and you've, yeah, you've helped bring that back. Uh, to yeah. I, and you're right. And it's, I appreciate that. And that's what I want. That was my intention of it yeah. is to just raise that awareness around food and, like I say in the book, like make the mundane a meditation. Like we are so, right, we're just eating the the meals and we're not, we're mindlessly eating, but bringing, infusing mindfulness and awareness and intention into your meals will elevate a lot of that, the meal. It will not only help support your, your, it will support that parasympathetic nervous system, that vagus nerve that's probably weak. So that resting, digesting aspect of your nervous system will be supported. But also you will check in with your body and not overeat. And you will be more mindful of how foods make you feel. Like, did this food love me or did it not love me? Yeah. Um, and and evolve in awareness around food. I, I do love that perspective because we look at the foods that we love. I love to eat, you know, Cheetos, right? But did it love you back? And generally the answer, at least with Cheetos would be no, <laughs> for the most part. You know, I do want to tell you, Will, and uh, so we did the first show and I go back and I think about what stood out to me and I write the intro uh, for that. And I, I want you to know that when you talked about, you said this the next, you know, gut feelings was more not as clinical of a book as the past ones and more philosophical. And, and what has stuck with me is 
that's the point. I mean, how we eat, how we pursue our health and wellness, how we eat and, and move and whatnot, we are ultimately the result of our philosophy on that, mm-hmm. even if it's a an ignorance of it philosophy. But you've got me thinking about the philosophy of my health and wellness and how I eat, the philosophy of my food and what I choose to put in or not put in. Um, man, it seems key. I, 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 I want to push that agenda, that perspective uh, mm. to folks. So I'll continue to Absolutely. do that. Yeah. It's, there's a science and art to wellness. And yeah. this book certainly is more of the art of it. I mean, the science in it, but it's leading with the art part. It's the space between the words. It's the checking in with your body. It's the ineffable. All of these things are important because what, when you have that, then that's more, there's more of a humanness to it. There's more of an intuition to it, less of the sort of sterile data, which is important, but at the end of the day, it's it's not everything. And sometimes people deify and overvalue that stuff, the academic stuff and the science stuff and the studies, which is all good, but it's still not everything. And it's uh, I think the other part gets lost, especially in the health and wellness world. People get so obsessive and like, I mean, orthorexia is a massive problem in the wellness world is disordered eating around healthy foods. Eating, stressing about healthy foods is not good for your health. And many people lose sight of why they do these things. And, um, you know, it spills over in social media. Need I say more? I'm <laughs> like people pontificating their keyboard warrior, like tribalism about these sort of things, about wellness, about wellness. They're infusing the most unwell toxicity into conversations around wellness. Well, I appreciate you t- saying the data. I, and I want to be respectful, but man, there's so many books that we'll get in here again with my, my buddy, the functional medicine doc. We'll get, we'll see a book data driven. It's brilliant. And I will look at it and go, yeah, but it is not going to move the needle at all. It's just not, I don't think the data, if the data mattered, we would all be in, here in America. We'd be the healthiest country ever. We have all the data. We have all the access to uh, communicate the data doesn't seem to be mattering at all. And so again, coming back to your focus on the philosophy. It feels like it's the only hope, honestly. Yeah, well, it's, I agree with it. I mean, it's like like cliche that's oftentimes talked about in politics and like legislation and things, but I think it really does apply to wellness is changing the hearts and minds. Like how do you actually shift the heart and the mindset and perspective and paradigm? And from that action will shift versus feeling like, okay, you're going to, like is cerebrally through erudition change minds. It's not going to for most people. So there are a certain subset of people that really do. The numbers are inspiring. The numbers are there, but ultimately it can end up to a place of stress and obsession really for the average lay person. There are biohackers out there that are freaks out there and I love them and I have, they're my patients too, but that's not the average person. The average person that's struggling with health problems they really do need to have both sides of the coin, not just one. And I liked your aspect of the art, the art of it. Mm-hmm. I'll keep, I'll keep ruminating on that one. Uh, next category is, is money, uh, finances, wealth. Even I like to put in there, even our uh, things that we own, you know, our, our possessions and stuff. When you look at that, what's your, I, was gonna say, I usually ask what your values are, but I ask your philosophy, Will, mm-hmm. on money. Um, I think my philosophy on money is I I was just thinking about this the other day and I was talking to my clinic manager, we were traveling for work and she she said, she, when I was in college, I worked at Starbucks Mm -hmm. 
And I still go to Starbucks frequently. I'll get a black tea or a green tea, mm-hmm. too much tea. And uh, not, again, not the best quality organic tea, whatever, but I, I love it. And it, she's, and I said, you know what? I said, if I wasn't doing what I'm doing and if it just all ended right now and for some reason or whatever, economics or the world changed or couldn't do it for whatever reason and it was just like forced, I couldn't do it. I would be completely fine and just as happy with going and start going and being a barista at Starbucks, mm-hmm. or I would like, I think it'd be always fun to go work at Whole Foods and like see, see all the cool like wellness stuff there. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like, if I'm going to be whatever the lead, one of the leading functional medicine doctors or a barista at Starbucks, that's, that's living off of tips, right? Paycheck to paycheck. Um, and I did that and I'm no more happier now than then. Hmm. And uh, so to me, I I can't say, like, I, I feel like I think of the Bible verse where there, Jesus says that, like, God takes care of the lilies. God takes care of the sparrow. And they're not toiling and freaking out about what's going to come next. How am I going to provide? Mm-hmm. They're just taken care of. And I really can look back on my life at every season of my life through hard seasons financially, decent, okay, hot, hot. And I was taken care of when I worried and I considered it hard. I was still okay. And it still worked out. And, um, you know, I was a college student with a little kid, married, living on very much a fixed income and student loans, lots of student loans doing what I'm doing. And, and it I was happy and I should have trusted more. And I think looking back, that was like one thing, but it's like that we all could do better. It's like that Maya Angelou's when you know better, you do better. Hopefully I didn't know any better. And I, I worried too much then, but I could look back and I'd be like, yeah, I, I could do that all. I could do that all over again. I'd be completely fine. So I guess, I don't know if that's answering your question, but my philosophy on money is just, it is a currency to, it's an energy to to make change in, in in someone's life to influence, but it does not make you happier. It doesn't do much. I'm actually not that. I don't even think about it that much. It's really it's not what drives me. To me, it's like if the clinic does well, or if a book does well, or a project does well, it's more of like ex- the experience of helping people and getting it out into the world. The creativity of it interests me so much more but you have to the the nuts and bolts of it especially from a business standpoint is you, you have to think about the practical things of you're providing for not only your family but lots of families that of your team yeah. so it's more that than anything else it's like okay i want it to be successful so i can keep doing these cool things with people that i really love i'm going to ask about possessions just because it's been on my mind more yeah. so since I had Arthur Brooks on the show, talking about strength to strength and talking about second half, of, you know, as we come into and, and then engage in the second half of life and the concept of, you know, you accumulate, you accumulate, you make more money, you get more stuff. And he was the second person I had. Was Ian Cron on the Enneagram was, was the, the first one, but two of them within about 30 days talked about their desire to divest themselves of more stuff. They're finding themselves, yeah, when they're supposed to be accumulating and have the bigger house and whatever going the other direction. It's been, it's just been on my mind. So I'll ask you where you, where you come to. Yeah. When looking at possessions, simplicity or not. 
Oh, I'm I'm constantly trying to be more simple. My wife is the master at it. If it was, I mean, the the her goal would be to live in a yurt in in Colorado or in Montana, uh, in the middle of nowhere. So that's wait wait. I, dude, of- I I can hook her up. No no, <laughs> for for real. So I, I live up in a national forest outside of uh, up in the mountains outside of Colorado Springs, and there's a, a a trail that I run probably three days a week, and it's called it's it's on the map. It's called like they call it Yurtville or something like that. It's two yurts uh, up there. So uh, you guys come up, I'll hook her up. That's amazing. That's <laughs> yeah. That's that's we've talked yeah. about it many times. They're like a tiny house. Yeah, we've we've done tiny homes like on vacations and stuff, and just to try it out, right? Um, and, and I, I could, I don't know if I'm that simple. I'm like somewhere in between, like, I don't need a lot of things. I really don't, uh, need a lot of stuff, but I don't know if I'm quite your level yet, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I, I think it's the more, and when you have kids and living in in America, it's easy to accumulate stuff, right? It's like, it's easy to be like, all right, you buy and we're constantly like, this stuff is just so freaking heavy. And people come to our house and they're like, whoa, you are a minimalist. Your house is like, there's nothing. And it is true. Compared to the average American, we are have very little material things because we we get it and then we're constantly giving it away. Hmm. It's like, we actually don't need this stuff. So we're actually better at being more intentional with the things that are coming into our home. So, you know, Marie Kondo, the, yeah, that yeah. method, yep. we've done a lot of Marie Kondo over yeah. the years. So we've gotten to the place now where everything's in very organized boxes, not much stuff, very simple, very clean, very airy. Uh, and that's what I like. Cause, and, and if I get a, a piece of clothing, if I buy clothing, in my mind, I was just telling my clinic manager this last week, I was going to Zara, I was filming a video class. So I had, they said, bring three changes of outfits. I'm like, I haven't bought new clothes in forever. So I'm like, I'm going to go buy some outfits at Zara. But I told her, I said, I'm buying these three shirts. I'm going to give away 10 things. Hmm. So it's like, I cannot accumulate more stuff. It annoys me. It just feels heavy and icky. So if I buy a piece of clothing, I will give away 10 triple the amount because it's like I have to and I do the Marie Kondo method does this bring me joy no I can get rid of it I can really when you start doing that Marie Kondo method with not just clothing but all your stuff you realize that most of us are keeping on to things that we don't do not bring us joy and do not add any value to our life and and even just when I'm looking at behaviors of patients Mm -hmm. it's not the people that have all the socio, like their high socioeconomic class, they have lots of material things. Uh, the ones that are the really happiest are the ones that are okay with letting that stuff go. They're not like beholden by that stuff. They may have it, but it doesn't have them. And uh, and then I see people that are middle class to to that they don't have that much, but the, their stuff just consumes them. And they're living on credit card debt to like keep up with the Joneses. So it's not so much how much money you have is what's your relationship with this stuff. Totally. So I'm studying again, the book called letting go by David Hawkins. And he talks about that. And his, his point is it's not the stuff it's, it's benign. It's your attachment Mm -hmm. to it, man. It's got, it's just, that's a big, it's a big concept. It's easy to nod at and, and, and so difficult to look and go, gosh, am I, I am attached. Obviously my emotions are showing me that I am attached to X, Y, Z. And, uh, 
the effort to back off of that is is difficult because we're in an attachment society. Yeah, um, for sure. All right, last one here is really just your interest, the things that you do will to inspire you. And I and it doesn't have to be, but I'm interested in I have an interest in those that would be theoretically non-productive things. These are not something, because I know that your your work inspires you. Talking about health inspires you. I mean, this conversation is inspiring, but what do you do that you're going to go off and do that's just for, is there something, hobbies, Mm -hmm. interest, self-care kind of thing that may not be productive in itself, but it is something that inspires you, fills you up? Yeah. Um. I don't know. I don't actually think it's that productive, but I, I, cause I, but I do it because it's, um, brings me, <laughs> it does inspire me. Yeah. I, I, being an Enneagram five, I love, I research the health stuff for work, but like not for work stuff that I love reading about is history. So I don't know how productive it is, right? It does. I mean, me acquiring knowledge about the Mayflower does not <laughs> actually help the world, but I really love it. So I'm reading this book on the Mayflower right now, which is just, it's like really? very dense research. Like every day, I know what the, the pilgrims did every freaking day in the 1600s, if you want to know. Interesting. Um, <laughs> but so it's that, and I do ancestry research too, or on my wife's family on my family, I'll do it on yours. If you want, <laughs> I'll, I'll go back as far as I can. It just fascinates me, really? but that's a meditation for me of thinking, Whoa, like all, thousands. And th- like, you go back how many generations we have like thousands and thousands of like ex great grandparents that all had to that live their lives. We don't know the names of 99% of them, if, if any of them, and they, the life they live, the love that they had, the toil they had, and all that, that experience had to happen for you to be here. It is just like, whoa, it's a constant meditation and the brevity of life, but just the sacredness of our decisions and what the legacy will live for the, for the next generation. So, um, I don't know how productive it is, but it is, I, I go down rabbit holes of, tracking my family lines. That's sure. so interesting. And, and I have an interest in that, Will. I mean, part of my book goes through the, or it goes through these areas of life and starts off with genetics and how they impacted us, which to some degree, we don't know exactly, but I'm curious about that too, that I came from these people, seven mm-hmm. generations, you know, and, and then on, I mean, you've cited the Bible and in there, they talk about the sins of the father are passed down mm-hmm. X amount of generations, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm interested and it's a it's a big curiosity to think how much of who I was at birth was already programmed in from how far back. And I think it's it's interesting. It's a bit scary, um, mm-hmm. possibly when you talk about legacy and to think, man, what am mm-hmm. I? What did I give my kids before they even came out of the womb? Much less what I am yeah. on through there. Uh, yeah, it's big big deal. Yeah, it is. Um, man, thank you. Man, thanks for the behind the scenes, the candor with it. I, I learned a lot more about Will Cole, which is the point, man. I dig it. Thanks, man. Uh, Thank it, you. It, it I appreciate gives, the opportunity. Oh, I don't great. normally get to talk about these things. <laughs> I know, I know. We don't usually hear about it. It gives such great context now to, I want to go back into the book uh, and and put some of these overlays on there. But thank you for taking the time to come back with me again. I'm excited to glean this info for myself and excited to give it to the audience. So, uh, Will, thanks. Thanks for having me. 
All right, that again is Dr. Will Cole, and encourage you to check out his book, Gut Feelings, Healing the Shame-Fueled Relationship Between What You Eat and How You Feel. I've already gotten a bunch of feedback on the first episode that we did together, part one, and I think you'll get great value from it. You can find him at drwillcole.com. Thank you for tuning in to the Self-Helpful Podcast, where I strive to help you and me elevate our personal experience and the way we show up for others. Stay driven, my friends. Stay driven, my friends.